You are listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast. Thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber. You can always listen to the show live weekdays from 5.30 to 7 p.m. on WDEV AM and FM and streaming at WDEVradio.com. You can text in your thoughts 24-7 at 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. The money was just burning a hole in Bill Belichick's pocket. He had to spend it, and as fast as possible. Opinionated. Of all the stopgap quarterbacks, Cam Newton was the best choice for the Patriots. Kudos to them getting it right. To the point. Socks will be better. They're still finishing in fourth. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show on a Wednesday, the final day of March, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I am so excited. This is the eve of opening day. Red Sox baseball tomorrow. Sox taking on the Orioles. We will have it for you right here on WDEV. We'll, we will have some baseball talk here momentarily as we get you ready for the Sox season. Some more commentary on the Pats and Jimmy Garoppolo, and we'll talk about the Final Four being said as well. We'll be joined at 545 as we always are on a Wednesday by Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio and I invite you to check out the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel where we've got the exclusive full interview with our guy Ken Kreitz. Ken Kreitz of Rotowire who uh, you know Rotowire is a company that does fantasy sports. Ken lives in Shelburne, Vermont and one of the founders of Rotowire so uh, fun to talk with him. We had some fun with projections about the Red Sox for the season. As always you can get in on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line at 802-585-3026. Let's get going. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Swanton, Middlesex, and St. Albans, and online at sticksandstuff.com. You know, we did this during football season. Every Friday we would do this. We would do our six-pack of questions, and it was appropriate, right? Six-pack, you know, going to watch football, drink some beer, have a six-pack. Well, on the eve of opening day in baseball, I want to answer some more questions, but I want to do it in true Vermont style, okay? In Vermont, we like to get the craft beer. We have the four-packs, the tall boys. So in Vermont style, on the eve of opening day, we are doing a four-pack of major league questions about the season ahead. Guys, can we get a little music here to get me going, please? Oh, you know it's baseball season when you hear that, the MLB on Fox theme song. Question number one, the team I am most excited to watch this season, it's got to be... It's not a sexy answer. It's got to be the Los Angeles Dodgers. Bill Plaschke of the LA Times just wrote that this team is going to be the best team in Major League Baseball history. That would require them to win 117 games in the regular season. That would put them at at least 117 and 45, which is just insane to think about. The 0-1 Mariners and the Cubs from back in the early 1900s each won 116 games. If the Dodgers are going to be the best team in history, they are going to be at least 117 
and 45. They have the lineup, though, to do it. Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy, and others. And then, oh, got a pretty good rotation. Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Julio Urias. They may You may have heard they've added Trevor Bauer. They've still got a very, very capable bullpen. And now, because they won the title last year, they have no pressure on them. Okay, Clayton Kershaw doesn't have the postseason questions coming to him. They don't have to justify the Mookie Betts trade anymore. They won a World Series last year. They won it through the pandemic. And now they get to go out here with no pressure, play loose, play free, and try to do something really special. I will be interested in watching Dodger baseball all year long just to see how they do. Question number two on our four-pack of MLB questions today. The team that intrigues me most heading into the season, that would be the Padres, the Dodgers' rivals, because the Padres have built up a team in a way that a lot of people think you have to. They were bad for a long time. They built up a treasure trove of prospects. Some of them have matriculated to the big leagues. Some of them got traded away and turned into stars. And now we'll see what happens here. But they struck when the iron is hot, and they are very ready to compete. But I don't know if they can outpace the Dodgers, but Blake Snell, Chris Paddock, Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove, they've got a loaded rotation. We won't even see uh, Mike Clevenger, who's out for the year with Tommy John surgery, who they acquired last year from Cleveland. They're loaded on the mound. They've got the young potential face of baseball in Fernando Tatis Jr., young fun stars. They've still got Manny Machado, Eric Hosmer. They absolutely could make a deep run in October. Other teams I'm interested in watching, the Yankees are a very close second, and I don't like the Yankees at all, but the pressure on the Yankees, I think the Yankees have the most pressure of any team in baseball. The Yankees have the most pressure of any team in baseball. They have to win, and they have to get to the World Series. They haven't won a World Series since 2009. The fan base is itchy. They are itching for a title. They're itching for a title appearance. Yankee fans have watched small market teams like Houston and Tampa get to the World Series. They've seen the Red Sox win a World Series in the last three years. Well, they have sat idly by losing in the ALCS. Aaron Boone's got the pressure on him. Brian Cashman's got the pressure on him. Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge have pressure on them. The Yankees need to deliver for their fans. I am not saying they have to win a title. There's no shame in losing to the Dodgers, who, as Bill Plaschke says, are going to be the best team in Major League history. There's no shame in losing to the Dodgers. There is shame in getting beaten out in your division by the Rays or the Blue Jays, which are possible in this season. Also, White Sox, Twins, two other very good teams I'm interested in watching out of the AL Central. If you want to text in, you can, 802-585-3026. We get one from Joe in Burlington who says, In Cora we trust. He wants me to talk about the Red Sox. Trust me, question number four here is my official Red Sox prediction. But first, we got to do question number three. The player I most want to watch this season. Pretty simple. Shohei Otani of the Angels. There's a lot of great players. I love Mike Trout. He's the best player of his generation. Bryce Harper is great. Tatis is great. Garrett Cole is great. There's a lot of great players. Juan Soto is great. Nobody has as much intrigue around him for me this season as Shohei Otani. He's back from Tommy John surgery. He's going to pitch this year. He may pitch and hit on the same days, something that he hasn't done since he got to the U.S. a couple of years ago. If he's healthy, he is an unreal story. He will be 
one of he, if he's healthy, he will be the story of baseball this year. Okay, a guy who can throw a hundred and hit it four hundred on the same day. Think about this. Now Otani's coming back from Tommy John. I don't think he's throwing two hundred innings. They're gonna handle him with kid gloves at times. But Shohei Otani could hit twenty home runs this year, could steal twenty bases, and could win ten games on the mound. Think about that. He is good enough to hit 20 home runs, maybe more. I mean, it's just depending on how much he plays. But he could hit 20 to 25 home runs. He could steal 20 bases, and he could win 10 games or more on the mound. If he does that, he will be the story of Major League Baseball this year. And the Angels have underachieved for the entirety of Mike Trout's career. If Otani's there and healthy, the Angels very well be a playoff team. The Blue Jays did some really great things in the offseason, and I think the Blue Jays contend for a playoff spot. I think the Angels also have a chance to be one of the better stories in the American League. They've improved the bullpen, should be better on the starting staff. Trout, Anthony Rendon, you look at uh, Otani, some young prospects coming up. I, I like what the Angels are doing. I don't know that they're the best team in their division, but they are a team that could contend for a playoff spot. Joe in Burlington wants me to talk about the Red Sox. Well, that's where we find question number four. My official Red Sox prediction is, as I've been saying all offseason, the Red Sox will finish in fourth. But they will be fun. They will be watchable. They will be significantly better than last year. Heck, they'll even finish over 500. The Red Sox will go 83-79. and 79. The Vegas over-under is 80.5. I would take the over on that. Sox go 83-79. and 79. I think they're going to play well early. I think they're going to be hanging around the playoff race. But Hyam Bloom is a smart guy. He's not going to go all in for a chance at a one-game playoff. He will sell off pieces at the trade deadline that can be sold off. Maybe that's Hunter Renfro. Maybe that is uh, Marwin Gonzalez. Maybe it's heck. Maybe it's J.D. Martinez or Kike Hernandez or Garrett Richards or Adam Adovino or Matt Barnes. They're going to sell off pieces that can be sold, and they're going to fall back here in the second half of the season. But the prospects are better. The young players are better. The big contracts are being shed to allow them to spend as we move forward here in the, starting in this offseason. The Red Sox will finish fourth. They just unfortunately play in a great and loaded division, but they will end up interesting, and they will end up being watchable and over 500 this year, 83 and 79. You know what? It is Wednesday. We always do our midweek questions on Wednesday, so I'll kind of turn my midweek questions into number five here. Midweek questions. Midweek questions, number five. On the Red Sox, who is going to be the closer for the Red Sox? Who is going to be the closer for the Red Sox? I just talk about two guys that could get traded. One's Matt Barnes, one's Adam Adovino. I mean, we got opening day tomorrow. I'd like to know who the closer is, who the high leverage reliever is. And I think Alex Cora needs to know that too. I don't believe in this closer by committee. I understand sometimes you got to bring in your highest leverage reliever in a high leverage spot. But by and large, I'd like nightly to know who I am going to. And it's going to be one of two. It's either Adovino or Barnes. And I don't know who Alex Cora is going to want to turn to. Hopefully tomorrow we're in a position where the Red Sox have a lead a lead late, and we can see who he brings out of the bullpen first. Red Sox, I think, better than last year for sure. Last year, 24-36, and 36, one of the worst pitching staffs in all of baseball. This year, 
83 and 79. They're interesting. They're capable of winning against you know against top teams, but ultimately I think they won't win enough. But it all starts tomorrow, baby. Red Sox and Orioles. Coverage will start at 1:10 with the pregame show right here on WDEV. First pitch is at 2:10, and I'll be on tomorrow after the game with your opening day recap. Um, opening day it, to me, it's a national holiday. I hope you're as excited for it as I am, as we are at WDEV. When I come back. The Final Four men's basketball tournament is set. An 11 seed. UCLA has made it to the Final Four. But are we giving them way too much credit for something I think they are supposed to do? I'm going to ask Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio. He's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Looking for a new career? Pro Driver Training is Vermont's premier truck driver training school, offering Class A and B CDL, passenger, and advanced skills training. With locations in Milton and Enosburg Falls, online at prodrivercdl.com. Taking classes isn't really my thing. Not a problem. Pro Driver Training uses a combination of lab, behind the wheel, and classroom training. They can break things down in a way that's understandable to you. I'm pretty busy. I don't think I have the time. Pro Driver Training will work with you with flexible scheduling. I'm Evan Hallstrom. I got my CDL Class A at Pro Driver Training. Liz and Alex made me feel very comfortable and adjusted training to my needs. At Pro Driver Training, success is their goal. A commercial driver's license can open up a whole new world of opportunities. Pro Driver Training, with locations in Milton and Enosburg Falls, online at prodrivercdl.com. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio, and one of the smartest. We thought the Patriots, that they're very good at keeping information from getting out. They're better than the FBI and the CIA. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on The Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in on a Wednesday. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, our guy, ESPN Radio. You can check him out weeknights at 9 p.m. It's Freddie Coleman of Freddie and Fitzsimmons. Also, a note to the listeners, as we transition into Red Sox baseball this season, you can always check Freddie out during Sox games if there's a uh, crossover there on WDEVradio.com. So, Freddie, we appreciate you as always, man. How are you? I'm good, my brother Brady. How's everything with you? Good. We were just talking Red Sox, just talking a little baseball. Are you ready for opening day? You got any opening day traditions as we hit tomorrow? Well, I've never had any opening day traditions, but I want to make sure that everybody realizes that I'm really glad that baseball is here. I'm glad that baseball is back. But I get the sense that we are outliers compared to everybody else, that it used to be so much of an excitement, not just from the hardcore fans of baseball like you and me, but even the casual fans are looking forward to opening day, and I'm hoping that at a certain point that Major League Baseball will get people excited enough to feel that way about opening day. But I can't wait to see what's going to happen, whether it's the Red Sox over here, the Yankees over there, the Dodgers over here, the Mets over there. I've always been a huge baseball fan, so I can't wait for things to get started tomorrow. Is there one particular storyline you're going to be paying attention to in baseball this year? Oh, the one storyline to me that I think the most important storyline is can the Dodgers repeat because it took them that long to finally break through and win the world champions because before last year happened, that had not happened since 1988. And then they went out there and fortified themselves again to make sure they were going to have the best chance at repeating. And especially in a division that's definitely gotten better with the San Diego Padres and what they did in the offseason, keeping on the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got a lot of young talent that's ready to come to the surface. 
So I can't wait to see how the Dodgers handle teams in their own division because if everything breaks right for them, this could be a 100-105 win team that could be setting the pace in the National League and also for Major League Baseball. Well, I'm certainly ready for opening day. Red Sox and Orioles tomorrow. Coverage starts at 110. First pitch is 210. And as one season starts, Freddie, another season is coming to an end, and that's the NCAA tournament. On the men's side, we are down to the Final Four. Uh, do you want to see Gonzaga go unbeaten and win the title? I want to see great basketball, so I'm really looking forward to seeing exactly if UCLA can continue this run, although I don't think it's likely because Gonzaga, they're playing at a pace that I don't think anybody has seen since the 1981 Indiana team in which they beat their opponents in the NCAA tournament by an average of 20 points, and nobody got close to 13 points to them except for North Carolina in a championship game. We have not seen a run like this in the NCAA tournament to this level since that time. So when you got Baylor and Houston on one side, I know that's going to be a competitive game. I think a lot of people don't expect a UCLA, a 13-and-a-half-point underdog as we speak, to be competitive. But if I see competitive, great basketball, I don't care who wins. But it's going to be very, very hard to stop that bunch of Spokane, Washington, because they are playing at an elite times 25 level so far this season. Freddie, I'm catching grief for this take on Twitter, so let me ask you what you think of it. I acknowledge that Mick Cronin has done a very good job at UCLA, and I acknowledge that this UCLA team has had a great run to the Final Four. But everybody calling UCLA Cinderella or fixating on the fact that they're an 11 seed, I, I don't jive with that. This is UCLA, and I'd say the same thing if it was Syracuse or some other big program. People are asking me to look at UCLA in the same way that I look at George Mason, and I refuse to do that. I think UCLA is getting a little too much praise for this run what do you think no they're not getting too much praise for this run because this has been a great run because many people did not believe that they were going to be michigan state and i know you see the letters ucla and it's hard to put them in a cinderella category and i hear you from that standpoint you can't put them in the same category as george mason because ucla is a story program and george mason had a storied run getting to the final four the year that they were able to do that knocking up number one uconn to get to the final four but Cinderella's story is a UCLA story this season. I don't think there's anything of doubt about that because nobody thought this team would do anything in the Pac-12. They're thinking that they could be a good team, but nobody saw this kind of run the way they've been able to play basketball. And even Mick Cronin, the head coach, who was the third choice by UCLA before they decided to hire him, he even said nobody expected this to happen, and that's exactly the way that we like it. So I understand why you don't want to put UCLA in the Cinderella box. But for this year, they belong there because when you're in 11th seed, I don't care if you're a big program or not a big program, you still have to win a first four game to continue this run. They become only the second team since VCU to do that, become the first four team and get to the final four. So I hear what you're saying, but I think it's a little bit off base here because they're not a Cinderella program, but for this year. UCLA is a Cinderella story. I don't think there's any doubt about that in my mind. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, Freddie and Fitzsimmons, 9 p.m. tonight, 9 p.m. tomorrow. And then remember, during Red Sox games, if there's a conflict, WDEVradio.com. Freddie, I want to move over to the Patriots. What do you think of the continued Jimmy G to Foxborough speculation? Are you thinking it's likely or is it still Cam's team? I'll believe that when I see it because I know that Bill Belichick didn't want this guy to go in the first place until Tom Brady went to Robert Kraft, the owner, and said, hey, Robert, a word. And then the next thing you know, Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> was moved west of San Francisco. So I think Bill Belichick may still have a fascination for him. But at the same time, and this is the genius and the beauty of Bill Belichick, you never know what he's thinking. He's never getting any clues out there or having clues being put out there. He doesn't have any spies working for somebody else that can put out the anonymous sources next to the Patriots, 
He's always done a really good job making sure everything is covert where you never know what the Patriots are going to do or what the Patriots are thinking. I don't believe they're going to take a quarterback in the first round, but with Bill Belichick, especially after what we saw last year, anything is possible with Bill Belichick because he's going to do everything he can to make sure he has the best players on his team and put themselves in a position where they're not going to be a playoff-less team like we saw in 2020. So I think that's a major factor, Bill Belichick. We don't know what he's going to do until he actually does it. That's been part of his genius, and that's been part of the Patriot culture and the Patriot way. I will say this. He does have some playmakers on offense that no matter who's playing quarterback, whether it's Cam Newton or they think I'll swing a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo, whatever they're going to do, now he has some playmakers out there. The question is, does he believe that Cam Newton is the right quarterback? And I firmly believe that he is from the Patriots' sake. Because if he wasn't, they would not have given him, given him another year to come back with incentives that connect Cam Newton close to $14 million. Interesting news today on Cam. Cam is going to be getting a eight-week-long television show. I believe the first episode is tonight. It's going to be a show and a digital show on uh, on BET. And all I can hear now in my head is the Boston media questioning how much Cam is really committed to football because he has another venture going. So it's not so much about Cam. The question to you is, how do you react when you hear people question athletes' motivation just because they have other ventures or other interests? Well, honestly, Bray, I just think it's stupid because basically you're telling athletes to just stick to sports and then don't, and don't do anything else. Well, how would you feel if somebody went to you and said, hey, we know you got this great part-time job, but stick to the job that you love. You know that people will be giving hold of you-know-what to somebody else. So what gives you the authority and the right to tell somebody that they can do something that's going to make their brand better and it's something they wanted to do and have an opportunity to do that. I've never, ever understood that. And it just really boggles my mind how the whole stick to sports thing got that political. Because if anybody had a brain in their head, they should have ignored any politician telling an athlete to stick to sports because we could have looked at them and said, why don't you stick to politics? you got enough problems doing that without telling somebody else to stick to what they're supposed to be doing in your mind. So I would never, ever tell a grown man or a grown woman what to do when it comes to their life, whether it's personal or professional. And I'm not going to stand for that for anybody else telling LeBron James or Steph Curry or anybody else to just stick to sports. They can stick to whatever they want they want to do, and especially when they're doing their part to make sure everything's going to be better for them and their family. If you have a right to do that, then why should you deny them the right to do something like that, especially in the situation with Cam Newton? If you question his motivation to play football, then that's just ridiculous. If he didn't want to play football anymore, he wouldn't have tried to sign up for one more year to be in the NFL, which is exactly what happened to the Patriots last year and the Patriots this year. So for anybody to even put that out there and make that part of the narrative, that tells me a lot more about them, not so much about Cam Newton and his quote-unquote motivation when it comes to playing football. Freddie, let's move to the Celtics as much as I don't want to. They lose to the Pelicans the other day. They'll take on the Mavericks here in a bit. And uh, Jay Williams of ESPN yesterday, your colleague, was saying, why do Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge not shoulder more of the blame for this? And my simple answer was is because we always hear it's a player's league. Players get the credit. The coach has been devalued. So I think the players deserve most of the blame. What do you think? Well, in this situation, the blame goes all the way around from Danny Ainge and not putting the right kind of roster together to Brad Stevens, who has fallen short from coaching, and from the players who have not gone out there and beat the kind of basketball team that we thought we were going to see. But I think as well, more than ever before, Brady, sports are a second-by-second lead. You could be you could be yesterday's headline last year, and then this year nobody even gives you-know-what about you because you're not playing well. So – the Boston Celtics have not gone through anything different than we've seen from other teams that you have high expectations, and all of a sudden, when they don't meet those expectations, 
people are wondering what is wrong. I've not given Danny Ainge or Brad Stevens a pass, but I may be the outlier when it comes to that. And yet you can tell somebody's a player's league. Let's be honest. Sports have always been a player's league. You're not going to do anything if you don't have the right kind of players. As great of a coach as Red Arback was in the 50s and 60s with the Celtics, if he didn't have Bill Russell, John Havlicek, Bob Cousy, Bill Sharman, the Jones brothers, and Sat Sanders, we wouldn't be talking about Red Arback in that same way. Same thing with Phil Jackson, the Bulls and the Lakers. Same thing with Pat Riley with the Lakers and other great coaches. Great coaches are usually made because of great players and not the other way around. You can be the greatest coach in the history of mankind, but you have bumps for a player. There's only so much you can do. So when people have thrown that out there that the NBA is a player's league, if you're going to say that the players have power to speak up for themselves and not have a league overrun them, then you're right. It's a player's league. But it's always been a player's league. In the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball, you don't win if you don't have talent. And that's always going to be the case with anything, no matter what kind of coaching you have or don't have, no matter what sport that is. Freddie, get you out of here on this double duty for you today. Radio show tonight. You were on first take today, uh, you know, uh, uh, banding about with, uh, with Stephen A. Yeah, I hadn't seen Stephen A. and Molly in such a long, long time. So it was really cool to catch up with them, and especially when Stephen A. gets fiery. That's why I couldn't wait to defuse his whole rant <laughs> that he had about Russell Westbrook. I said, you know, you're beautiful when you're angry, just to kind of leave the, the, the level of tension a little bit when it comes to Stephen A. But anytime I get a chance to do something like that, I always relish that because it's such a popular show. It's such a terrific show. And you have two terrific people. People don't realize that you see – the front of the face when it comes to Molly and also Stephen A, but the quality people behind the scenes as well. So anytime I get a chance to do something like that, it's always a blast. I always have a great time. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. The star continues to grow. So Freddie on first take. Freddie and Fitzsimmons tonight, 9 p.m., all Red Sox season long. Anytime there's a conflict, you can always stream Freddie at WDEVradio.com. So Freddie, we appreciate you, man. Be well. Enjoy opening day, and we'll talk to you in seven days. Can't wait to do that again, Brady. You be well and enjoy the Easter holiday weekend as well. I will. You too also. Freddie Coleman, simply one of the best. A lot of good stuff there from Freddie. Kind of a wide-ranging interview. Stuff on Cam, stuff on the Celtics, a little bit of baseball, and the Final Four. Trust me, in my takeaways, I will have thoughts on UCLA. I have to get this off my chest. I do this kind of thing about once a year, and then I don't do it again. So I will uh, get my UCLA rant in mm, in the Freddie Coleman takeaways, I think. So, crew, we already know now we're, we're cutting up that. So, uh, it does bear repeating, though. This is something that we deal with every year, and I think with the uh, baseball season starting, it's important to mention this. You heard me say with Freddie that – so, Freddie and Fitzsimmons is on at 9 p.m. If there is a Red Sox game on our – if there's a Red Sox game on DEV and you want to hear Freddie, you'll be able to hear it on our website, wdevradio.com. Invariably, every year we get asked, hey, is the Red Sox game online? Can we listen online? And the answer is no. You are not allowed, we are not allowed to play the Red Sox game on our online stream. So if you want to listen to the Sox all year long, which I know you do, you have to listen on the radio here wherever you get WDEV. For some of you, it's AM 550. For some of you, it's. Uh, 96.1. For some of you in Barrie, it's 96.5. In Island Pond, it's 100.9. If you want to listen to the Sox, you can only listen live on DEV. You cannot listen online. The reason why is because, you know, you think about it, it all comes back to money. So Major League Baseball has its own streaming service, right? Major League Baseball Audio. They want you to be able to, you know, if a, if a Red Sox fan in Seattle could listen on WDEVradio.com, 
then they would never pay MLB for their product, and that is MLB's goal. So MLB says you are not allowed to stream your games online because they want those fans to pay for their own options and uh, pay for MLB audio. So we are not allowed to stream Red Sox games. So during Red Sox games that are on at night, Freddie will be on on the stream. So we'll get to our Freddie Coleman takeaways. We'll get to our top of the hour update. But, uh, you know, first, one national voice thinks the 49ers are doing a great thing by laying out their Jimmy Garoppolo plan. I'll tell you how I would act if I were Jimmy G. That's all next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. You're listening to the Brady Farkas Show podcast, brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center, with locations in Middlesex, St. Albans, Swanton, Enosburg, and Derby, and online always at sticksandstuff.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Remember, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. The show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They offer Class A CDL, Class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training. There they prepare you for success. If you want to be an instructor at the Pro Driver Training you can call in at 893-4955. Give them a call at 893-4955. Take a look at the courses. I'm looking at the class uh, CDL Class B right now. You're going to operate a six-speed, 24-foot box truck to prepare you for local and regional entry-level CDL B positions. Students receive hands-on, one-on-one training from their certified driving instructors who combined have more than 50 years of truck driving experience. You're going to get 74 hours of training, minimum classroom and independent study, lab training to include, but not limited to, pre-trip inspection, identifying hazards, maintenance, and securing cargo, and one-on-one behind-the-wheel training on the range and on the road. It is Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school right here as a partner on the Brady Farkas show. All right, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, says it's nice to see, it's refreshing to see what the 49ers are saying about Jimmy Garoppolo. So if they want to protect themselves, like the strategy makes sense. You give Jimmy G all the time, you let your, your quarterback develop, and then you hope Jimmy G plays so lights out that he can go on and do something else for somebody. I mean, that, the strategy makes sense the way they're explaining it. We're just not used to seeing that sort of transparency before a draft. Okay. I am with Jason Fitz on this. It's nice to have transparency. I am, I like, as an independent fan, I like a to see a team identifying what their plan is. They're telling you what they want to do. Hey, we're being aggressive. We're moving up. We want a quarterback at three. We want Jimmy to stay. We want Jimmy to play. And we want the young guy to grow. That is all well and good. I enjoy that also as a fan. But... As we spoke about yesterday, you forget that these players are human beings. And does Jimmy Garoppolo really want to play that role? Does he want to be the guy? He knows they don't value him. He knows they don't value him long term. He knows he's a placeholder and he's about to be replaced. Does he want to play that part? It's all well and good when you say it. I like it also 
as Jason Fitz says, I like the transparency. I like a team who's finally not hidden. They're telling you what they're going to do. But that honesty, that transparency, that's great for fans, has a real-life impact on those players and in that locker room. And does Jimmy Garoppolo want to be that guy for a team that clearly does not value him long-term? Again, Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston talked with us about this earlier this week. It's hard for me to see a starting quarterback of a good team where you're expected to to – to a certain extent, rally the guys, Brady. That is still a leadership position. It's hard for me to envision a human being in that leadership position and taking that thing by the reins as soon as the team has told him, we don't want you anymore. And so I get all the reporting right now, and I understand it to an extent. It's not similar. It's not It's not totally similar to that Smith scenario, though, because I think they're different people, and it, the trade happened at a different time. Like The Niners are desperate to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. That's what this trade tells you. Yeah. And now he's going to stay and be happy to be the quarterback to lead a good team. It's hard for me to envision. There's also this idea, like I said at the beginning of the segment, this idea that Jimmy Garoppolo is not only going to play, but he's also going to help mentor the young quarterback. This whole learning from a veteran quarterback thing is among the most overrated narratives in all of sports. If I am Jimmy Garoppolo and I do stay in San Francisco, I'm not helping the number three pick in the draft with squat. And I don't care if you think it makes me a bad teammate. I don't care. I am not helping you at all. I am not helping the organization at all in any other way than trying to win games and get to the Super Bowl because that's the only way I keep my job in San Francisco is NFC title game or Super Bowl appearance or Super Bowl win. I am channeling all of my energy into that goal and trying to protect myself. I am not helping the newcomer out there. The organization, if I'm Jimmy G, better not expect me to study the playbook with the new quarterback, to talk after practice, to break down film. You better not ask me to work one-on-one with them. You figure it out, kid. If the organization values you that much, that they're selling out the future to get to the number three pick in the draft, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I say, you know what, kid? You don't need my help, and I'm not going to help you. If I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, my obligation to the team is to try to be the starting quarterback and win the Super Bowl because that's essentially the only way I can fend you off. My obligation, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, and I do stay in San Francisco, is not to develop my successor. This whole narrative... Again, it sounds nice. Hey, we're preparing for the future. We're being aggressive. We go get the quarterback of the future. Hey, and by the way, we're not going to rush him. He's going to have a chance to sit behind Jimmy Garoppolo, and Jimmy G is going to play with this team and maybe get us to a Super Bowl and win it. And all while, all the while, Jimmy G is going to help our help nurture our young guy along. That's a load of garbage. If I am Jimmy Garoppolo, that is my job, and you are here to replace me, and I am not helping you. It is not my role. That is what we have quarterback coaches for. That is what we have offensive assistants for. That is what we have practice squad players for. That is what we have head coaches for. My job, if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, is to try to be the starting quarterback and win the Super Bowl, not a hand-holding mentor. If I'm Jimmy G, this young guy is going to learn something from me. He's going to learn my compete level. He's going to learn my preparedness because he's going to see it from afar and how I prepare for a game. He's going to see my leadership skills in the huddle and on film, but he's going to see all of that from afar. He is not going to get a one-on-one tutorial from me. Okay, 
Again, not my job to groom you to replace me. Think about your think about your job. If you're driving right now and you are 40 years old, okay? You're 40 years old and you're making 60 grand. Well, hey, we got this 24-year-old college kid who we kind of like. You know what? We like him a lot actually, and we could pay him 25 grand. You train him. You you in your mind know like, hey, wow. This guy's pretty good. They like this guy. He comes a lot cheaper than me because he's got no kids. He's got no family. They could very easily replace me with him. My first inclination would not be, yeah, let me make that guy better. That's what you're asking Jimmy Garoppolo to do, and it's a load of garbage. This whole narrative of that the new quarterback's going to help, that the old quarterback's going to help the new quarterback is so overstated. Okay? Now, Ryan Fitzpatrick has done it a few times. Ryan Fitzpatrick is almost 40. Ryan Fitzpatrick has never been to a Super Bowl. Ryan Fitzpatrick has never been the guy that a franchise has hitched their wagon to. Jimmy Garoppolo has been those things. Jimmy Garoppolo has won rings as a backup. Jimmy Garoppolo has been around Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, and Tom Brady, so he comes with a degree of credibility. And Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl as a starter in that city with Kyle Shanahan. He comes with a degree of credibility that Fitzpatrick doesn't have. As good a guy as Fitzpatrick is, okay, his role is more suited to being a mentor. Jimmy G's resume is, hey, man, I'm not even 30 yet. I'm not grooming somebody else to come and take my job. If I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I went to the Super Bowl two years ago. When I was healthy and my team was healthy, I went to the Super Bowl two years ago for this organization. I have been injured for you, I have won with you, and you are betraying me. I am not helping you groom the next guy. And by the way, I don't care about how you look. Like, John Lynch, you mortgage the future. You need the new guy to work out. Doesn't matter to me one bit. Don't care at all. My job here, I'm looking out for number one. And number one is, I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I want to win the Super Bowl, and I want to either keep my job here, or I want to go somewhere else where they value me and they'll pay me and they'll make me a starter. I'm looking out for number one. I don't care how Kyle Shanahan looks when I'm gone. I don't care how how John Lynch looks when I'm gone. And quite frankly, I'd like to see those guys fail without me. Tom Brady didn't help me when I was in Foxborough. If I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, like, look, I'm not going to lock the facility on the new guy, but I'm not going out of my way to help him. Jimmy G didn't get any help from Tom Brady because Tom Brady was, you know, was holding on to his position. And we look at Tom Brady as, hey, that's Brady not giving up his spot, man. That's his. Same for Jimmy G. Same for Jimmy G. It'd be the same perception for Jimmy Garoppolo. A couple of texts, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Uh, Jake, who is over in um, Colchester, says, Brady, agree with you. If my team was trying to get rid of me like that, I don't even know if I could show up. And you know what? I wouldn't want to, at least initially, if I was Jimmy Garoppolo, but where are you going to go now? New England, right? Like, you could go to New England, but Cam is there, and at least it'd be a competition. It probably wouldn't just be given to you. Chicago with Andy Dalton, again, probably not given to you, although I think he could win it. But there aren't too many spots. Everywhere else on the dance card has been full. New Orleans is settled with Jameis Winston. The Colts are settled with Carson Wentz. Houston's got another quarterback in case Deshaun Watson is dealt and or suspended. 
Fitzpatrick and Taylor Henneke are back in Washington. Like there aren't a whole uh, Jalen Hurts is the guy in Philly. There aren't a whole lot of options. So I probably wouldn't want to show up in San Fran either if I were Jimmy Garoppolo, but I may not have a choice. All right, it's Brady Farkas show on WDEV. Get another one in there from uh, Thomas, who is over in South Burlington, who says, um, Brady, agree with you also. This idea of the veteran mentor only works in certain situations. It works when a guy is at the end of his career or when a guy is not as accomplished or it works when there's not just one of the position. And what I mean is, you know, the, you know, Mariano Rivera can take four relievers under his belt for the Yankees. There's nine guys in the bullpen and Rivera has the credibility that he's still going to be the guy. And when he's 40, then he can start to train a couple other guys, you know, mentally down in the pen. Um, Clayton Kershaw is secure enough in his position where there's four other starters and he can go and talk to the other guys to make them a great two through five. The shortstop can help the young second baseman because they're going to be partners. He's not directly competing with him. In the NFL, it's one of one. And so the idea that Jimmy G at not even 30 is going to pass on everything in his uh, encyclopedia, you know, his, his personal encyclopedia to the young guy, that's, that's just not going to happen. Okay, I do this rant about once a year, and I have to do it again now, and it stems around UCLA, an 11 seed, getting to the Final Four. UCLA beats Michigan yesterday, a number one seed. And I asked Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, who was just on a little while ago, if UCLA is getting too much credit for going to the Final Four. Here's Freddie's answer. And I hear you from that standpoint. You can't put them in the same category as George Mason because UCLA is a story program. And George Mason had a storied run getting to the Final Four the year that they were able to do that, knocking up number one UConn to get to the Final Four. But Cinderella's story is a UCLA story this season. I don't think there's anything of doubt about that. Okay. I think UCLA is getting too much credit for their Final Four run. I think they're getting too much praise. I think that there's too many people acting surprised about this. Freddie Coleman says, no, Brady, they're still Cinderella this year. I know that I'm on the contrarian side of this, and I really just don't care. I am willing to die on this hill. You cannot sell to me that UCLA is Loyola Chicago, that they're George Mason, or that they're VCU, because they're not. UCLA is not some small-time program. Yes, McCronin did a very good job this year as their head coach. Yes, this team overperformed based on what their regular season looked like. And yes, they had adversity throughout the season. You know, they had injuries, opt-outs, etc. So yes, this team has overcome a lot. But that said, the expectation should be that UCLA can win because UCLA is one of the five most recognizable programs in college basketball history. And even if you think, hey, history doesn't always matter, this program has been to the Final Four twice in the last 15 years. I mean, it's not like they've been, you know, like St. John's has been a doormat for a long time. UCLA hasn't been a doormat like St. John's has been. This program produces NBA players regularly. This isn't some underdog program. This isn't some underfunded program. I had some people telling me today, ah, UCLA is not as big a program as you think. They're paying Mick Cronin $4 million a year. They've clearly got the budget and the resources to be competitive. At UCLA, winning should be an expectation, not an exception. Let me say that again. 
for UCLA, even though they were an 11 seed, winning should be an expectation and not an exception. The same could be said for Syracuse, who was also an 11 seed in this tournament and had a chance to get to the Final Four. Syracuse has a Hall of Fame coach, several NBA alums. They're the premier school in their state. UCLA and Syracuse are not small-time programs. If they, In fact, them getting 11 seeds is an underachievement for what their program is. Again, winning should be the expectation, not the exception. We see this kind of thing every single year. We do. We see this kind of thing every single year. Okay, Every year in the regular season, in a normal time period, in non-COVID times, you know, Virginia Tech will beat Duke or Clemson will beat UNC and fans will rush the court. Northwestern will beat Ohio State. Fans will rush the court. And I always ask myself why. It should be an expectation that you can beat teams in your own conference. Like, I, the court storming to me is reserved for UVM beating Syracuse. It's reserved for, uh, you know, Grand Canyon State upsetting Arizona. It's not there for Virginia Tech and Duke. If you think, like, and now I'm kind of getting away from the tournament, I'm going back to the conference thing, but like if you're Virginia Tech and you beat Duke and you want to rush the court, then you clearly don't value your program very much because these programs, these big conference programs, they have resources, a lot of them. They should be able to win. It should be an expectation you can win games like this. Now, I'm not saying this UCLA team should have been expected to get to the Final Four, but this idea that UCLA, the program, is some darling, that's not the case. And in fact, if you look at UCLA, or if UCLA looks at itself as George Mason or VCU or Butler, then the program has certainly fallen a long way. Winning should be the expectation, not the exception. It's great for Mick Cronin. Again, they overcame a lot to get to the Final Four, and that should be celebrated. But to act like UCLA is some afterthought program that just had to scrape things together in order to do this, it's not the case. UCLA should be in the conversation every single year for the Final Four. That should be UCLA's expectation. They should be in the conversation every year for the Final Four. They're going to play Gonzaga. They're probably going to get beat by 25. And and look, that's okay. A lot of teams get beat by Gonzaga by 25. USC just got beat by 19 yesterday or whatever it was against Gonzaga. So, I mean, people lose to Gonzaga all the time. And I'm not going to kill UCLA for that. But the expectation should be they can win important games. All right, we do it every single day. Let's get to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? I don't I don't like the signing. I'm not happy about the signing. Okay. I think about 99.5 of New England is upset with this news today. All right. They really said that? That's the issue for me, is that he is limited physically in a vacuum. Cam Newton's shoulder is what it is. His body is what it is. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEV Radio.com. All right. So, um... 
Lou Merloni, W-E-E-I. I'm hearing this for the first time, but I saw Lou talking about it on Twitter. So I'm going to play it a bit. It's it's a little long. I'm not going to play the whole thing. Lou is talking about the Yankees rotation in comparison to the Red Sox as we hit opening day. Here's Lou Merloni, W-E-E-I. The Blue Jays. Okay, Hunshing Ryu, starter, outstanding, number one guy. So he's talking about the Blue Jays now. He's going to move to the Yankees. That's your number two. Okay, let's move on. Nate Pearson, a rookie with upside. I think he had, uh, what, five starts with a six ERA. He's a rookie, but he must be outstanding because he's not in your team. How about Steven Matz from the New York Yankees? All right, let's see here. That's never really lived up. All right, let's see. Very good arm from the left side. Um, How did he do last year? Oh, oh, he had a 9.68. ERA, just a filler in your in your road. Six point eight ERA. Everybody loves, and you can say the Red Sox have question marks. What do they have? They both have two goods, one starter each. After that, you have no damn clue what you're going to get from any of them. Yes, the Red Sox have rotation questions, but the two teams that everybody wants to hand this division to have just as many, if not more. All right, so Lou didn't hammer the Yankees there. He's hammering the Blue Jays and then talking about the questions that the Yankees have. I'm going to go off that. Lou's right. The the Red Sox have questions in their rotation. They absolutely do. The Yankees are no given in their rotation either as we head towards opening day tomorrow. Four-fifths of the Yankees starting rotation have major questions about injury and or rust. And a lot of people have the Yankees penciled into the World Series essentially, and, and I have no idea, and I said it weeks ago. I don't know if that rotation is going to hold up. Garrett Cole, if he's healthy, He's a certainty. He's a stud. He's going to be great, and he could go 20-4. and four. He is that good. He could win the Cy Young. But Domingo Herman hasn't pitched since the end of the 2019 season. Okay, Jordan Montgomery has had arm problems. Corey Kluber has thrown 36 innings in the last two years, and Jamison Tyon has thrown 37 innings in the last two years. Let me repeat that. Jordan Montgomery has arm problems. Domingo Herman hasn't pitched since the end of 2019. Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyon have less than less than 80 innings between them in the last two years. There's real questions there. The Yankees have a good bullpen. Araldis Chapman, uh, Zach Britton. You know they have a good they have a good bullpen, and they're going to need their good bullpen because their rotation has real questions. They're going to be able to hit. If the Yankees are healthy, they'll hit. And they'll win a lot of games 10-6. But this idea that the Yankees are just going to waltz to the World Series, that's not the case. And Lou is right. Blue Jays have questions also. And I've been high on the Blue Jays, and I'm guilty of that. But I'm looking more at the Blue Jays' offense than their pitching staff. Their pitching staff also has questions. The Rays have you know historically have a good staff, but they lose Charlie Morton and they lose Blake Snell. If you're looking for an in for the Red Sox this year, it's that everyone else's rotation in the division also has questions. The Yankees rotation looks great on paper. It looks great in fantasy baseball circa 2016. I don't know that it's great right now. Garrett Cole will be a stud. There's four question marks there. Their bullpen is also aging. And they also lost some pieces. Dylan Batantis has been gone for a few years. Tommy Canely is gone. Adam Adovino is gone. So their bullpen is good, but it's aging. Their rotation has upside, but has question marks. The Blue Jays just lost their closer for the year in uh, in Kirby Yates. Nate Pearson, their top prospect, probably doesn't pitch until the end of April. 
Hunjin Ryu's in his mid-30s. He was very good last year. Can he repeat it this year? There's a lot of questions in this in this division. So I have been bullish on the Red Sox finishing fourth, but if you're looking for an in for Boston, it's the other team's uncertainty in their rotation. Major League Baseball opening day tomorrow. Red Sox and Orioles, we will have it for you. 110 pregame, 210 with the first pitch. Nathan Navaldi is on the mound for the Sox. We are now, again, less than 24 hours from opening day. Some Red Sox projections. Ken Kreitz of Rotowire, Vermont native. He stopped by with me earlier and gave me some projections for the Sox. There's a couple of them that don't have me feeling real good. That's next in the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here at WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, if you ever miss any of the show or any of our exclusive interviews, you can always check us out on the Brady Farkas Show podcast channel. It's all thanks to Sticks and Stuff and Swan and Lumber. Pretty easy. Just go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts on your smartphone and just hit subscribe. You'll never have to miss a show or an interview there. We do some special interviews that only appear on the podcast channel, like yesterday, I had an opportunity to speak with Ken Kreitz. Ken Kreitz is a fantasy sports expert at Rotowire. He's also a uh, Vermont native. He lives here in Shelburne. So I've gotten a chance to hang out with him many times. Love talking with him. And yesterday on that special interview, we talked a lot about projections for the upcoming baseball season for the Red Sox. Now, fantasy baseball doesn't always equal value in real baseball, but it does give you a statistical baseline of which to think about players and one of the guys we spoke about was Kike Hernandez. Kike Hernandez is a new Red Sox player. Remember, two years, $14 million deal, last played with the Dodgers. I was doing fantasy baseball drafts all weekend, so I was spurred on by the idea that I wanted to draft Kike Hernandez. And I looked at the projections, and I saw 236, 18 homers, 63 RBIs for Kike Hernandez. And I'm like, whoa. That seems awfully low. Kike's hitting 340 this spring. He's been hit for power. They're going to bat him lead off. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? Well, I asked Ken Kreitz. I'm like, look, man, hey, do you really see Kike Hernandez being as bad as the projections I saw? Um, you know, he's 29 years old. He's coming off a season with an on-base percentage of 270. Um, I don't see him and zero stolen bases. I don't see him suddenly becoming a radically different hitter for the Red Sox. Um yeah, that's hey, the spring's great. It's extremely small sample size. He's not facing major league pitching and a lot of that. Um, and certainly for the Red Sox, I hope he does better. But yeah, we have hit, we have our concerns. Okay, so he Ken Kreitz, wrote a wire fantasy sports pretty much believes it. 236, 18 homers, 63 RBIs, three stolen bases. He didn't balk at those projections. So let me kind of work backwards here. First off, if Kike Hernandez hit 18 home runs, I would absolutely take that. Okay, I would absolutely take that. That would pretty much wash out Andrew Benintendi. Benintendi's best year, he hit 20. So pretty much you'd get a power wash between the addition of Hernandez, the subtraction of Benintendi. So I certainly like that. And, you know, Benintendi's an outfielder. They're supposed to hit for power in a lot of cases. Second basemen aren't. So if you get outfield productivity from a second baseman, count your blessings there because not a lot of second basemen are hitting 18, 20 home runs like Rotowire projects that Kike Hernandez will. By the way, 
I also have to think that Franchi Cordero, who's going to play in the outfield and replace Benatendi in left, I got to think that if he's healthy, he's a 20 to 25 home run guy too. So let's just say, let's just say that Cordero hits 20, which I think is probably on the low end. You get 18 from Cor- or 18 from Hernandez, 20 from Cordero. That'd be 38 home runs out of left field and second base. Last year with Benatendi and Jose Peraza, Red Sox essentially got bupkis. So there'd be a significant power uptick there in those two spots between Cordero and Hernandez. I would take that. 18 home runs from Kike Hernandez, I would absolutely take. Also, 63 RBI wouldn't be awful either. For a leadoff hitter, a guy on a good Red Sox lineup who won't be asked to do everything, I don't think. You know, look, there's not going to be. I got to trust that J.D. Martinez and Xander Bogarts and Rafael Devers and Christian Vasquez and Bobby Dahlbeck. I got to trust that they're cleaning up a whole lot of everything for me. Kike Hernandez shouldn't have too many RBI opportunities. So 63, that seems reasonable and that seems pretty good too. Where now we start to get into some problems are three stolen bases absolutely cannot happen. Three stolen bases absolutely cannot happen for Kike Hernandez. The Red Sox don't need to lead the league in steals, but they've said they focused on getting a lot more athletic, and Kike Hernandez is part of that. I think you better be utilizing it. I'd like to see Hernandez as a guy who could steal 10 bases. I'm like, I don't think that that's too much to ask. Kike Hernandez is a leadoff hitter could steal 10 bases. I don't think that's too much. I know everyone's like, oh, we don't want to get him thrown out when all the big guys are coming up. Put the game in motion at times. This team will need to create some offense somewhere. You can't just hit home runs. Kike Hernandez stealing 10 bases, I don't think, is that much to ask. And then, by the way, ultimately, if Kike Hernandez is hitting 236 as a leadoff hitter, that would be horrible. The Red Sox absolutely cannot afford to have Kike Hernandez hit 236. They need him to set the table. The Red Sox haven't had a reliable leadoff hitter since their 2018 World Series season when they had Mookie Betts there. 2019, they moved Benintendi to leadoff and had Betts to second. Didn't work. Last year, you know, Verdugo did it, but didn't really enjoy it. So Hernandez, like, not only needs to hit leadoff and be willing to, but he needs to do well. He can't hit 236 and have an on-base percentage of 270. He needs to hit 270 and have an on-base percentage of 330. Like He needs to be that good. If this team is going to make noise in the AL East this year, Kike Hernandez has to be a catalyst. And at 236, he's going to be an anchor. And they can ill afford to have anchors in their lineup. they got enough questions in their bullpen and on their staff. They're going to need Kike Hernandez to be a certainty. I furthermore went and asked... Uh, Ken Kreitz about the rest of the Red Sox, and he said, per Rotowire rankings, the offense for the Red Sox looks generally good. I mean, you mentioned it. We've got Xander Bogarts at tw- ranked 29th overall uh, heading into the season, with Devers not that far back at number 37. We are banking somewhat on a JD Martinez bounce back, where we have him at number 56 with 25 homers, 88 RBIs, and hitting 264. Okay, so Bogarts and Devers are both top 40 players. There's only 30 teams in Major League Baseball, so you've got, you know, 
if you figure that every team had, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I don't know what point I'm trying to make here. But there's only 30 teams in Major League Baseball. You're telling me that the Red Sox have, you know, two of the top players in the game. Okay, they've got two top 40 players in a 30-team league. That's pretty darn good. So I don't worry about Devers. I don't worry about Bogarts. I like Dahlbeck's power at least. I don't know that he's going to hit 270, but he might hit 230, but he might hit 30 home runs. So I like Dahlbeck's potential, and I even like Christian Vasquez as a catcher. Where I want to focus there is J.D. Martinez. Again, they've got him projected 25 home runs. 88 RBIs, a 264 average. That would be a massive downturn in each of those categories from where we saw him in 2018 and 2019. I mean, we're talking a guy who had, I think, 43 and, you know, 130 or something in 2018, and then at 36 and 110 in 2019. Like, J.D. Martinez has been one of the best hitters in baseball for the last, you know, three or four years, and Rotowire is projecting him with a massive downturn this year. If he hits 25 home runs, I think that would be fine. 25 home runs in his age 33-34 season, that would be fine. I could live with that. What I can't live with is 88 RBI. That's not enough because J.D. Martinez is going to hit in the middle of that order. And Bogart's endeavors are great, and Dahlbeck's got it enticing power at the bottom of the order. They're going to need Martinez to be really good in the middle of the order. 88 RBI probably means he's leaving a lot of people on base. You cannot have that. If he's 25 homers and 110, less home run power, but still good productivity RBI-wise, that's great. I also can't live with 264. This is a guy who's been a 300 hitter in non-pandemic seasons the last two years. Okay, Two of the last three years. Didn't hit it last year with the pandemic, but two of the last three years, he's hit over 300. They can't have him go back, you know, 35, 40 points in his batting average. You can't downturn in all three of them. If he's going to hit 264, he needs to hit 35 home runs and bring in 120 again. If he's going to hit 25 home runs with 88 RBIs, he better be hitting 330. Like, you can't downturn in all three categories. You can't downturn. In all three categories. I want J.D. Martinez to be good for a lot of reasons. Mainly because I want the Red Sox to be good. And I want them to prove my projections wrong. But also, if I'm out of it at the deadline and Martinez is good, I'd absolutely move him at the deadline and try to get prospects. I've said it all I've said it all offseason. The Red Sox will move who they can move. Renfro, Barnes, Adovino. If they can move Martinez and they're out of it, they should. I want Martinez to be good for Boston, but I want him to have good trade value going towards the deadline as well. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. I am curious. We have received some, but we have not received as many texts today as we've talked about baseball. Are you guys excited for opening day? Am I overstating the importance of opening day? Because a little while ago, Freddie Coleman told us that he thought that I was an outlier in terms of being excited for opening day. And to me, opening day is practically a national holiday. Okay, To me, it's it's corny, but it's romantic that opening day signifies the changing of the seasons and renewed hope and rebirth. And in this year, the end of COVID or the hopeful end of COVID. To me, opening day symbolizes all of that. 
and I can't wait tomorrow to come in here. Like, here's my day tomorrow. Come in, do the afternoon news service with Lee, watch Red Sox baseball, talk about Red Sox baseball. And that, to me, is a great day of work. Now the texts are coming in a bit. We see one in here from uh, John and Montpelier who says, yes, Brady, we're all excited for opening day. Sorry I was driving. I didn't text in. That's okay, John. We get one in from uh, Marla, first-time texter who's in Bradford, who says, yes, Brady, looking forward to watching the Sox. Just hope you are wrong and that they uh, don't finish fourth. Hope to see them in the playoffs. I hope I'm wrong, too. Marla, I hope I'm wrong, too. Uh, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. 802-585-3026. We do it every single day. Let's get to a quick, crazy Twitter take. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The The internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEVAM, FM, and WDEVRadio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Crazy Twitter takes today is a quick one from Stephen A. Smith. He wants the Patriots to trade Cam Newton to the 49ers for Jimmy Garoppolo. I I mean, really? I get why everybody wants Jimmy G. He doesn't have a place in San Francisco anymore. He's been with the Patriots. Belichick likes him, blah, blah, blah. They're not in, the 49ers are not interested in Cam Newton. If they were, they would have signed him this offseason. If they were, they would have signed him last offseason. They're not interested in Cam Newton. If they trade Jimmy Garoppolo, the guy who's the number three pick in the draft is who they're interested in. They're not interested in Cam Newton. Like, if they've got um, if they've got uh, the veteran stopgap, they want it to be Jimmy G. Another text comes in. Phil in Berlin. You are old school, Brady. I love it. Where I grew up in Pennsylvania, it did feel like a holiday back in the 60s. Opening day to me is a holiday. Like, it's going to be a great day for me tomorrow. I am I am pumped for it. And, again, see, I've always thought that opening day appealed to people that were not baseball fans. And the reason why was what I said. It symbolizes all the corny Hallmark stuff. It symbolizes growth. It symbolizes rebirth. It's a a metaphorical end of winter. Even though winter's over, and even though we're still going to see winter-type stuff, baseball being here feels like the end of winter. And it feels like the start of summer. And in a way, I think even more so romantic, baseball, you know, it's ironic. Even though baseball gets criticized for having an old fan base, I think baseball season reminds everybody of their youth. It reminds you of playing catch with dad. It reminds you of dad and mom driving you to the games. It reminds you of, you know, my mom throwing me batting practice in the, you know, with the big giant red wiffle ball bat in the backyard. It reminds you of all of that stuff. It connects generations. And I've always thought that baseball did that. Opening day of baseball does that in a way that no other sport does. First day of football season is great. But why is it great? Yes, we love football. We love to then gamble on football. We love to play fantasy. Football is great for a lot of ancillary stuff. Football doesn't connect in the way baseball does. The NBA opening day, it's fun that basketball's back, but basketball, I feel like, just ended. Like, the NBA ends at the end of June, and basketball's back in October. I don't even feel like I've had enough time to miss it yet. Same with hockey. Baseball, it feels like it's been a long time. It's been six five and a half months since we saw baseball and we've gone through a long, hard winter. 
it feels like it's time. Baseball connects in a way that other sports just don't. All right, when we come back, I can hear it now. I can already hear it now. The Boston media crushing Cam Newton. Well, this New England radio host will tell you why, if they're doing that, they're in the wrong. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. 3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Earlier this week, it was announced that Patriots quarterback Cam Newton has has launched a new weekly talk show on the BET network. That's going to be an actual show, and it's going to be a digital show. It is an eight-episode series where Cam will talk with several Atlanta-based figures. Cam is from Atlanta as well, so he's going to talk with Atlanta-based figures. He's going to talk about Atlanta and black culture, hitting on a lot of things Cam is interested in, like food, art, cigars, business, and much more. And I can hear the Patriot fans, and I can hear the Boston media now saying, Cam didn't have a very good season last year. Shouldn't he spend more time with his playbook and less time on television? Does Cam really care about football? I can hear it all now, and I'm here to beg you, my smart audience of Vermont, New York, and New Hampshire, please do not do that. You know, three or four years ago, I probably would have been that guy too. Three or four years ago, I would have been the guy who said, hey, Cam, read the room. We didn't play that well last year. Don't give him any more fuel to the fire and uh, just put your head down and play football. I probably would have said that three or four years ago, but as I have grown, my thoughts have grown as well. These athletes are allowed to have other interests. In fact, they all all have other interests that we never give them grief for. Okay, They all have other interests already that could, quote, distract them from their sport. We don't get on them for that, so why is this different? Because it's a television show when it's going to be more visible? Like, Cam already has a fashion line. He already has a restaurant. He already appears on podcasts. He already does charitable work. And oh, by the way, he's already a father. Cam Newton already has a lot of other things on his plate that could take away from his football time, and he's figured out a way to manage it. And a lot of other players have charities and families and travel, and they go hunting. And they go fishing. All things that could take away from their sport. This isn't going to be something that takes away from his football. Okay? And by the way, it's it's only eight weeks long. It's in the offseason. It's not going to interrupt Patriots workouts. Like, th- this is the perfect time to be doing something. A lot of this doesn't even coincide with any kind of workouts or activities for the team. Cam is perfectly fine to be doing this. Okay, let me and think about it this way. Cam has said part of the reason he wants to do this is because he wants to talk about his experience getting out of Atlanta and getting out of maybe not a great part of Atlanta. And he wants to be an inspiration. He wants to tell stories of growing out of, you know, growing out from that area. In a way, that's kind of a charitable venture, isn't it? If Cam went and, if I told you Cam was going to go to a school, one school every week for eight weeks and speak for an hour. You'd be like, wow, that's great. Cam's giving back. This is kind of the same thing. He's just doing it with cameras in front of him, and he's not actually going to the school. It's the exact same thing. He's telling stories about getting out from a place that you know he deems not 
that advantageous to personal growth. He's telling stories. He's giving advice. He's talking with prominent people about how they got to their situations. And he's doing it for an hour a week. And you know what? The guest list is already booked. He's not running the cameras. They'll edit everything for him. He's not going to have to commit as much time as you think to this. This will be like a a three-hour-a-day thing when it shoots. The first one comes out tonight. It might already be up digitally. I think it is. The first one, though, I believe is on television today. I'll be interested in seeing it. I'm interested in, you know, Cam is an interesting guy. I listened to his podcast. He was a guest on, it was called Serendipity with this kind of motivational speaker, Inky Johnson. Cam was phenomenal. I enjoy listening to Cam Newton talk. And three or four years ago, I may have had the view of these athletes should, you know, worry about their career. Not now. As I've grown, they get to grow too. And they get to have other interests because I have other interests outside of my job. I love my job. I dedicate a lot of time to it. I have other, other interests as well. These players, men and women are allowed to also. Uh, the only time I have an issue with this stuff is when you go and do something physical and you're a guy who's been injured. Like Gronk had a bad back and missed a bunch of games a couple of years ago and then went out and did soccer and wrestling. And that bothered me in the off season. Like, that wasn't reading the room, and that wasn't smart physically. This 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 won't impact Cam at all. I'm interested in checking it out. So, uh, Brady Farkas Show, podcast available, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Go subscribe to it. Never miss an episode. Never miss a interview as well. Tomorrow's plan is this. Red Sox baseball, 110 with the pregame show, 210 with the first pitch. I'm praying for no rain. I'm praying that we can get the game off in Boston as well. So, Sox O's. 2.10, figure it goes till 5.10, figure the post-game show 5.30. You know, my guess is we are on the air, barring rain delays, etc. We're on the air by 6 o'clock. We will recap the Red Sox game, hopefully a Red Sox win. We'll also talk with Todd Woodcroft, former, or former, current UVM men's hockey coach who had just wrapped up his first season. So, tomorrow's show, recap on Red Sox baseball, Todd Woodcroft talking Catamount hockey. Can't doesn't get much better than that. Happy opening day tomorrow, everybody. I'll see you after the Red Sox game right here on Vermont's news station, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and we're always streaming free on the WDEV radio app. Stay safe, everybody. Watch the snow. See you tomorrow.